I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. Sometimes in our conversations on this show, we dig deeply into things we don't have time to include in the episode itself, but that we'd still like to share with you. This is one of those times. If you listen to the conversation I had with my longtime friend Stephen Strogatz, you'll know that my fascination with mathematics is not well matched with my ability to actually do mathematics. In fact, there's no match at all. Over the years, I've tried many times with Steve's help to arrive at some idea of what's going on in math. We can get a rough idea of other complex studies like physics and biology, but for me, math, sometimes called the language of nature, is tucked away in a heavy, thick book with a lock on it entitled Forget About It. So I thought it would be fun if Steve could get me to grasp at least one of those math terms that many of us have heard about, but that most of us don't really get. You can judge for yourself if we were successful. I want to ask you something that I have often asked you in our conversations like this that we've had over the years. Can you help me understand something, anything about something that I've heard about for many years but don't really have a clear understanding of? For instance... The quadrilateral equation is supposed to be, it's very common in in science, and I don't know how it works. I have always heard about the Fourier transform. What a wonderful name. I have no idea what it does. (laughs) Uh And Bayesian statistics. How how about Bayesian statistics? Great, sure. Uh, Just so you know who you're talking to, you know what level I'm at, let me tell you what I think it is, and then you you can work from that. I think it's a way of figuring out a problem that's where something is changing all the time and you keep getting updates on the information you have about it so you can have a more uh, accurate appraisal of it, Mm -hmm. something like that. For instance, I was was on an island once uh, with roads and stuff, and the only way you could get off the island was by taking a ferry. And I was visiting with a, a friend who was very rich, and I was curious about how rich people think. Did he estimate things better than the rest of us? And we heard that the ferry had gone out of commission on one, one end of the island. The other end of the island had a ferry that was working, but if you took that ferry, it would take you three or four times longer to get where we both needed to go. So I looked it up on my iPhone and found out What's, what condition the ferry was in, the one that was broken. And I saw that it was out of commission, and I took the long route. Later, I found out he kept checking on the ferry. He didn't take one report about the ferry. He kept checking on it, and mm-hmm. at the last minute, managed to get on the ferry and got home quicker than I did. <laughs> And I thought he was using some kind of Bayesian method. Now, how close am I to understanding anything about this? <laughs> yeah, um, I I would say you're quite close. That the idea that you have some estimate of the odds of something being favorable or something happening, and then you update the odds as more information comes in, that is that's exactly the heart of what Bayesian statistics is. Um, so that I think you got the gist of it. I, I, I'd like to try to give you an example of 
you know, just the kind of thinking that goes into it, actually, because it's um, it was instructive to me in my own teaching. It, it's something that I was not trained in. I, in fact, never studied probability or statistics as a student. And so over the years, when I've been asked to teach those subjects, I'm a bit terrified. <laughs> 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 you know, there's this old dream. I, a lot of people have this dream of um, an anxiety dream that they're in a course, some course in school, and they're signed up for the course, but they didn't know they were in the course, and they haven't gone to any of the classes, and they're sitting there for the final exam, and they have no idea, you know, like what's on the page of that exam. When you become a professor, you have a different dream, which is that you dream you have to teach a course that you don't know the first thing about. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the way I feel when they ask me to teach about Bayesian statistics, that I don't know anything about that. So the first time I had to teach it, I stayed very close to the textbook. You know, I would, I would really just sort of inch along with the examples in the book and do everything the way the book did, hugging close to shore because I didn't really didn't know what I was doing. And on this one Bayesian problem that I used to assign, the students would always do it differently from the book. And I was inclined to think they were doing it wrong, except that they always kept getting the right answer. <laughs> so, so what was I, that? This happened year after year, and I started to realize the students had found a more intuitive, clear way to think about Bayesian reasoning that I want to do with you now. Because oh, oh this, this is great. Okay. okay. This is an example of how the teacher can learn from the student. And, you know, I realize your show is about communication and trying to be clear and vivid. And, and I think this was a nice example of communication going in the other direction of the students teaching the teacher. They, they found the right way to think about this better than the textbook. So, okay, so here's an example of the kind of thing that they would do. Um, now, the, the example I'm going to give you has a lot of numbers in it, so I worry about that. But uh, you well, could write them down or I could just keep repeating them. But it's, I, it's I, a, I haven't got a pencil and probably the listeners don't either. So I'll just make sure I'm up to date with you. Okay, here it is. The thing I'm going to give you here is, is an example that was used in a study of how doctors do or do not successfully use Bayesian reasoning. Okay, mm. this is a, a study of, of um, practicing physicians and the psychology of how difficult these kinds of questions are. Imagine a woman who uh, goes in for her first mammogram. You know, you're supposed to get a mammogram. They used to say at age 40 for breast cancer screening, or nowadays they say go in at age 50. But, but anyway, so imagine our, our um, hypothetical woman who goes in to have a mammogram, and she's in what a doctor would consider a low-risk group, there's no history of breast cancer in her family. She doesn't have any symptoms. She's, you know, reasonably young. There's no reason to be worried. And so here's the first number I want to give you. The probability that a woman like this would have breast cancer is 0.8%. 0.8. It's already confusing. Less than 1%. Yeah, less than 1%. Second fact, you're just told, and you could just accept these numbers. If a woman has breast cancer, the probability is 90% that she will have a positive mammogram. Okay, positive, in other words— Positive meaning she's got cancer. Yeah, well, positive meaning that the mammogram says that she does. Yeah, okay. We don't know that she really does. We just know the mammogram says that she does. I see. Okay, so the, if she does have breast cancer, the mammogram will pick it up 90% of the time. That is, this, it will say 90% of the time you have breast cancer when you really do. Uh -huh. it won't, it'll miss some. It'll miss 10% of them, but 90% it 
when you have it, it'll say you have it. Now, the, the thing that's making it further confusing is if a woman does not have breast cancer, the probability is known to be 7% that she will still test positive. Well, in other is, words, a is, false positive. Is there anything in there that the person listening gets dizzy at this point? Oh, very dizzy. And so do the doctors. So do uh, professionals. That's the wow. amazing thing. So the question is, and this is the real question. Imagine you're a woman, you know, that, that has gone in for her first test. She's with her physician. The physician has all those confusing numbers I just gave you. And unfortunately, her test comes back positive. The question is, what, how, how bad is this news? I mean, what is the probability she actually has breast cancer? Oh, and Bayesian reasoning can g give you a, a better picture of it. It's, I'm going to give you the answer in a minute, but I'm going to show you. I mean, you re I'm glad that you find it confusing because so do the doctors. I mean, even professionals who have done this for decades cannot put all of these numbers together in a way that makes sense. I mean, so the guy who did this study is a, a um, German psychologist named Gerd Gigerenzer, and Gigerenzer, um describes what happened when he, he says he tested, the first doctor he tested was a department chief at a university teaching hospital who had been teaching for more than 30 years. And this guy, he says, was visibly nervous trying to figure out what he would tell the woman. Um, he, he just eventually gave up. He just said, I don't know. I mean, ask my daughter. She's studying medicine. So, hmm. and it wasn't just this one guy. Gigerenzer asked 30, uh, sorry, 24 other doctors the same question, and some of them said the woman's odds were 1% that she had breast cancer. Other doctors said 90% chance that she had it, and there were people everywhere in between, 50%, 80%. So you could imagine a, a poor woman asking a second opinion and a third opinion, and some doctors would be saying, you know, it's very likely you're, you have it. I'm very sorry to tell you. And others would say, don't worry. So what's the right way to think about it? And well, well okay, we just so re is, quickly review the numbers again. Yeah, let's go over them again. The okay. So first of all, she's supposed to be in a low risk group, if, right? Which it, means so that she's got less than one percent. Less than one percent. So that's like when you said to me at the beginning that Bayesian reasoning is about updating information as new information comes in. Mm -hmm. What you should think of is before the woman goes in for the test. She knows that her odds are good, less than 1% chance of trouble. Then new information comes in, the new information being she has just tested positive for cancer. So now we have to update her odds based on two things that we know, which is that sometimes the test is wrong in one direction and sometimes it's wrong in the other. The numbers that we were given were that... Um, sorry, now I've got to look at my own piece of paper here. <laughs> um, no laughing matter. It's important, this poor hypothetical woman. Um, yeah, sorry. So we said that if she does have breast cancer, 90% of the time the test will pick that up and say that she has it. But that if she does not, the test will still say she has it 7% of the time. So it, it sounds like the, um, the fact that her past history puts her at less than 1% seems irrelevant no, it's very relevant. Tell me why. That's interesting. So, yeah. No, I, it's interesting that you have that intuition. That's one of the big lessons of Bayesian thinking is that the base rate, that is in this case the rate that a person like her probably has or doesn't have cancer, really important to know. Keep it strongly in your mind. She's 
from a low-risk group. The odds are really good she doesn't have cancer. There's no reason to think she would. And just because the test says she does, you still shouldn't necessarily believe it. So here's, okay, so here's what my students figured out. I mean, this thing that I just gave you, totally bewildering. I mean, if you're totally confused at this point, that's the right reaction. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's because, and this is one of Gigerenzer's big insights in his study, people, including doctors, don't know how to think about probabilities as probabilities. I gave you all these percentages, and they're super confusing when I say it like that. If I gave it to you as numbers, like the numbers that you learned about in elementary school, you'll be able to do the problem easily. So go it, ahead. It's, it's numbers that we should be thinking about, not percentages. Okay, so here's the good way to think of it, and this is what my students would do, and this is what I didn't realize. The book doesn't do it this way. This is what the <laughs> students hit by being smart little kids. <laughs> they, they just would think about a group of 1,000 women. Okay, so let's do that this way. Let me give you the same numbers that I gave you, except not as percentages, but as actual numbers. So instead of saying 0.8%, which is already bewildering, I'm going to tell you that eight out of every thousand women have breast cancer, that are women like this hypothetical woman in the low risk group. That's right. what 0.8% means, eight out of a thousand. Eight out of a thousand of low risk women will have it in yes. spite of the fact that they're low risk. Right. Exactly. Perfect so far. So eight out of a thousand. So we're going to imagine this hypothetical cohort of a thousand. And of these thousand, eight of them, unfortunately, do have it. Now, of these eight, seven will test positive on their mammogram. Why did I say seven? Because I told you earlier that um, the test would pick it up 90% of the time. So of these eight that actually have it, if I do 90% of eight, that would be 7.2. Mm. And so I'm just rounding to make it simpler to keep in our head. Of these eight, seven will will test positive. Okay. Because the test is pretty good. It's going to get you at 90% of the time. Yeah. So of the, of the eight out of 1,000, seven will test positive. Okay. Now, what we also have to realize is that there's 992 remaining women because eight of them do have breast cancer. 992, that's the rest of the 1,000, do not have breast cancer because, remember, they're low risk. 992 out of the 1,000 actually don't have it, yet 70 of them will test positive because we said earlier that the test will give you a false positive 7% of the time, and 7% of these 992 women is about 70 women. In other words, what I'm saying is 70 women will test positive even though they don't have it, and 7 will test positive because they really do have it. I'm sorry, is that too much to do over the... Should I say I, it again? There, I'm, I'm not sure I'm still awake. <laughs> okay, so I'll say it simpler. Out of the thousand, eight of them do have breast cancer. Seven will test positive. Seventy will also test positive even though they don't have it because the test makes mistakes. Yeah. And so seven out of the total that tests it positive, which is... Seven plus 70, seven out of 77 of those that tested positive will actually have it. So the bottom line is only one out of 11 women that test positive actually have cancer. The odds are 9% for our if, poor woman. If they, if they come in with low risk. They're low risk and they test positive. The odds are still only 9% that they have it. So that's— I mean, you, her odds went up. 
that the we updated. The odds went up, the, but they're still... Uh, they're still not that terrible. It's I not, mean, it's, it's not, not like not she a, has it. It's not a, she might not, have it. Not as horrible news as it... It's not as horrible as it would sound. So, okay, that was difficult to do in the medium that we're using here. But but the the I guess what I was hoping to convey was that, um, first of all, that my students taught me the right way to think about this, that percentages are confusing, whereas imagining... A, a sort of a tangible population of a thousand women, then you could just calculate things. It, it was much more straightforward, and that was the way they would do it. And the thing that we just did, painfully <laughs> and confusingly, <laughs> was an example of so-called Bayes' theorem. We just did Bayesian reasoning. Well, I'm not sure that we just did Bayesian reasoning. But it's nice to know that even the distinguished math professor Stephen Strogatz had to rely on his students to really grasp it himself. And if you made it this far, be sure to check out our longer conversation where the going is a little easier. This episode was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>